Monday. It's February 2nd, and the word of the day is cephalonomancy. So in case you get tired of constantly saying the practice of divination via boiling the head of an ass, now you can just say cephalonomancy instead. Not to be confused with cephalomancy, which means exactly the same thing. So yes, predicting the future with boiled donkey skulls is common enough for synonyms. I'm no illusions. I'm Heath Enright, and broadcasting delayed from America's far center, we are the Skeptocrats. On episode two, we learn what misinformed, science-denying, ideologically motivated soccer moms have in common with room-temperature mayonnaise. Sarah Palin's teleprompter malfunction is almost as entertaining as Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction. We'll look to Yemen in an effort to make America's government look functional. And Gwyneth Paltrow gets rug burn from squatting over a vaginal laser kettle. But first, the duo tribe. We ended last week's duo tribe with a suggestion that getting everyone to vote might improve the level of democracy in this country. We even had a genuine Stryan close the segment with a sarcastic remark to that point. But it might surprise you to learn that there's even more wrong with our system than just that uninformed and uninterested electorate. Yeah, shocking, I know, that a system that elevates intellectual giants like James Inhofe and Orrin Hatch might be imperfect... <laughs> But yes, sadly, our democracy could use a tune-up. I mean, it's hard to imagine there are many people out there rooting for exactly what we now have. You know, people who are saying, what we really need is impotent posture. <laughs> right. There's, there's no centrist gridlock faction. No, no, this is perfect. John Boehner and Nancy Pelosi average out to me. Just well, about exactly. M- maybe in skin hue, you know. <laughs> medium, not orange. So right. let's take right. a look at the current system and see where it might be going wrong a little bit. So uh, we all know most of the elections in this country are decided with a plurality voting system. In general, that just means everybody chooses one candidate from the list and the highest vote total wins. And, of course, on the surface, that makes pretty good sense. Lots of votes happen that way. But it does have some flaws. For example, it allows James Inhofe and Orrin Hatch to be among the 100 <laughs> most powerful people in this fucking country. And, look, and, and then on the if local it, level, you've got, like, uh, Gordon Dr. Chaps Klingenschmidt finding ways to win elections because right. all they have to do is get a big enough chunk from, of the extreme side in a contested enough election right. to win a plurality. Right. And that often leaves the majority of people unhappy with the winner, including the average moderate person, which seems to me like a design flaw. Well, but to be fair, you also don't want a system that only favors moderates either. For example, okay. the yeah. approval voting system in which voters can just vote yes on as many candidates as they like often ends up being a race to the center to become right, right. the least unpopular and thus the least substantive. <laughs> Basically, think Democratic primaries. <laughs> Great example. So we want a system that's not too extreme but not too moderate either. And to make that Zen koan even worse, we have a two-party system in this country which seems to cut the centrist group in half and force mm-hmm. this false polarization for Lots of similar-minded, moderate voters, honestly. Right. In this country, you can't be both anti-death penalty and pro-nuclear. Those, that, you can't <laughs> be in favor not? of both low corporate tax rates and abortion rights. Those <laughs> things don't exist. <laughs> right. And then in many elections, you only have two candidates that could realistically mm-hmm. win because of the two-party system. And chances that one of those two people agrees with you on most issues is very small. So most Americans are forced with a decision on election day that feels kind of like a lesser of 
two evils situation. Well, even worse than that, like as, as A. Whitney thing. Brown puts it, it's not even voting for the candidate you dislike the least. It's voting against the candidate you hate the most. <laughs> and even if there is a viable third-party candidate, sensible voters avoid them so as not to split the ticket and end up with the worst of the three options. And I'm sure plenty of people just mumbled Ralph Nader or Ross Perot, <laughs> depending Nader. on affiliation <laughs> exactly. and age. <laughs> and, yeah, the presidential election in 2000 is definitely an example of this. Our current voting system forced lots of people to choose someone other than their favorite candidate. Right. And I believe that would be another design flaw. Al Gore definitely got plenty of votes from people that actually preferred Nader. In fact, some of the Bush advertising budget went to buying Nader commercials as a way to further encourage the split ticket. It was well, and a strategy. While we're on the subject of the 2000 presidential election... And shit that's wrong with our democracy. I seem to recall it exposing some other flaw. Some, uh, I'll, I'll give you a hint. What would be the worst thing that could possibly happen in an election if you were trying to defend the system of voting that was used during it? Oh, okay, I appreciate the hint. I guess you must mean when the guy who got the most votes didn't win. When exactly. Al Gore won the election and... George W. Bush became president. Is that what you meant? Bush, hell, I'm still pissed when about Hayes, Robin, Sammy Tilden back in 1876. <laughs> but yes, when it comes to voting for the POTUS, the normal shit system that we have just isn't shitty enough. Instead, we have this state-by-state -state plurality system, which has, like, the guy most of us voted for isn't president-level flaws that were exposed a century before I was born right. and still haven't been fixed. Yeah, I'm not a sophologist, but I imagine the election expert people would tend to agree that the guy with more votes losing is another design flaw. And by the way, even if you wanted George W. to be president that year, it should still bother you that the system's broken. Well, and honestly, if you wanted George W. Bush to be president, a lot of shit should bother you. You should, <laughs> okay, just, you should be seeing somebody about that. I'm sorry. And not only have we known about this problem since before doorknobs existed, <laughs> we can also calculate just about exactly how much of a problem it is. According to skeptic author on the topic, William Poundstone, plurality voting is, quote, bad technology. And he notes that the second most popular candidate wins about 11% of the time under this system. Right. So basically we have a porn site where more than one out of every 10 things you click on is a video of an old man inserting a catheter. <laughs> and yet we've been jerking off to the same site for centuries. Well, hold on. Would, would old man catheter – would that be the second most popular – Well, no, but it would, be, it would be better than the second best candidate in any given race in America. So what we're looking for here is a voting system that is theoretically impartial to all regions of the political spectrum. Right. That would allow more than two viable choices. That would be nice. That best captures honest voter preference Obviously. and hardly ever gives us videos of septuagenarians <laughs> with clogged up dicks. <laughs> And as it turns out, the nerds have a system for this. Do By analyzing election results, smart people with abacai can compare which systems produce results that make the most people happy. Actually, more accurately, they find voting systems that cause the least amount of total unhappiness with the results across the entire population. And okay. the nerds call this Bayesian regret, as it applies to elections. Not to be confused with Sprazian regret. <laughs> Which is when you go ahead and just beat off that catheter video anyway. <laughs> right, right. Our whole analogy breaks down if you do like that. So by this Bayesian regret measure, our current voting system is one of the worst at accomplishing democracy with bad scores on the crucial reflecting the will of the people category 
compared to other systems out there. Well, so. and as much as I do hate the will of the people, I'll have to admit that's a shitty system. So these, uh, these nerds you were talking about, you say they had a better suggestion? Yes, they do. It's called range voting, and it's actually quite popular among the logical types, including Mr. Poundstone, for having the lowest amount of Bayesian regret of the major voting systems. Range voting is very simple. Instead of just the single vote for one candidate, we give each candidate a score from 1 to 10 or some other scale. and Zero to 158.3, for example. <laughs> perfectly logical. Great example. And the best average score wins. So it's often described as having each voter give all the candidates a report card, unlike the current system in which each voter gives one candidate an A+, and... Nobody else gets graded or right. Okay, F or so whatever. I can see some clear advantages. Like I, I like the idea that a moderate Republican walk, can walk into the primary and say, you know, with their vote, I like John McCain twice as much as Jeb Bush, but I like them both infinitely more than Rick Santorum. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I never feel like I'm being descriptive enough when I vote. You try to yeah, get all right. pumped up, you zip the curtain all out, and you know, just voted the shit out of that ballot. But you can't get that. Excited. All you did was name a person <laughs> or name a few people. Right. Well, what if I'm actually a raging socialist who likes Jill Stein and Obama? Or, right. Or a raging bigot who likes Pat Buchanan? That information never comes out, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Very few people that would score high on Obama and Buchanan. So basically, everybody would be able to send in a much more accurate picture of their political opinions. You, you could, like, say, give your honest opinion of Ralph Nader, good yes. or bad, yes. without worrying that it might affect the competition between the two frontrunners. So just to review, that's more honest votes... Better reflection of preferences, third-party viability, check, check, check. Uh, range voting has neither an extremist bias nor a centrist bias, check. We talked range about that. has uh, fewer syllables than plurality. It's easier to say, <laughs> check. Would have gotten us the president the majority of us voted for in 2000, even assuming the stupid electoral college system, check. Less advantage for extremists in closed primaries, check. So, in very simple terms, if we switched from... Plurality voting to range voting, it would lead to more happiness units and fewer sadness units, uh, mathematically, which is kind of like checkmate. You've probably heard a lot in the news this past week about the power vacuum developing in the wake of the Yemeni president's resignation. With more than a decade of internal strife, multiple groups vying for power, and an increasingly ineffective central government, it can be pretty hard to follow the details of the developing crisis. So to help you get everything straight, Noah's been studying up. So Noah, before we talk about President Hattie's surprise resignation, remind us how he came to power in the first place. Well, Hattie assumed power after a popular uprising ended in an assassination attempt on former President Saleh, who was accused of having stalled democratic reform. Hattie? No, Saleh. But Hattie... Stalled democratic reform. No, Saleh stalled democratic reform. Hattie tried to push him through when he assumed power. Who? Hattie. Hattie what? Hattie assumed power. Hattie assumed power what? Hattie assumed power, sir? But he didn't? There's no buddy in this story. Try to keep up. The important thing at this point is Houthi forces moved in. Who did they move in? Who? The forces. Houthi forces. The ones you were just talking about. The Houthi. Who? No, Houthi. So how did they figure in? Well, they've been taking over government buildings in the capital for months now, since September. So how did these Houthis hold these government buildings? They had help. From who? That's Salah. That's Salah of what? That's Salah, sir. Okay, okay, but who's controlling the security forces? It's Salah the security forces are loyal to. All of the security forces are loyal to who? These fundamentalists? 
No, the Houthis fundamentalists are an independent group, but the security forces still follow some of Salah's orders. So how does Salah fit into this? Allah is their god, so they, they, all, they all like him. Okay, so this fundamentalist group moved in. Mm -hmm. Had the vice president resigned by then? Had he? That's what I'm asking you. Well, well, having your capital occupied certainly scares all of your allies. So Salah is Hattie's ally? No, not at all. But, but had he helped the Houthis, he might as well have been. So Hattie did help the Houthis? Hattie? Hattie. Hardly. Eventually, Hattie had enough of this Houthi hui, so he handed in his resignation. How's that help? Well, the Houthis hadn't had the hope to have the homeland that Hattie had, and Hattie hoped that handing these Houthis a healthy dose of the hell that he had to head up would halt their ambitions. And have they? Well, it's hazy, but one thing's for sure. It needs to get better quick. The World Health Organization released a report this week detailing inhuman conditions all over the country. The who? Exactly. Joining me for headlines tonight is fellow skeptic rat, no illusions. Noah, is it in fact hard goddamn work being that good? I'm sure you it's, can tell. It's easier than I make it look. So pretty. So before we get started with headlines, let's check that American pulse on the wrist. Oh, this yeah. time, no illusions. Right. Last week we had hashtag make sex awkward in five words, and today we'll be continuing with the same five word attention span impaired format, but now with movie rewrites. Okay. Noah. Trending this week was hashtag rewrite a movie in five words. Player pass. You know what? I got to go first last time. I will take sloppy seconds this week. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with Jesus reenacts Mel Gibson lynching. <laughs> nice. I was thinking uh, radioactive spider gives nerd melanoma. <laughs> well played. And this week's a random stranger winner, which really just means the best one on the first page when I clicked on it was at hail underscore razor, who... Rewrites Memento with these five words, quote, dot killer wife's his finds man, end quote. So, okay, nice. <laughs> well nice. done. At Hale underscore razor. I, I don't know but, that he rewrote it bad, exactly, but I'll give him or her full marks for creativity. <laughs> right, right. Dot mushrooms on Memento watch don't. That would be like a that. waste of mushrooms. In our lead story tonight, it turns out that spreading measles isn't just for Amish missionaries in the Philippines anymore. <laughs> Our story begins when a backwoods, single-stranded, <laughs> negative-sense-enveloped RNA virus moves from his country home to the big city. Hilarity ensues as he tries to figure out citified technology like crosswalks <laughs> and escalators, and Funny. then he goes to the happiest place on Earth where he infects scores of people with a burgeoning epidemic of highly contagious <laughs> respiratory disease. It's less funny at that point. And then in the sequel, the backwoods virus meets AIDS in the city and then brings her back to the country where reverse the hilarity ensues. That's actually, that's actually the prequel. Uh, well, the numbers are sure to be higher by the time this episode is released. At the moment, there have been 78 reported cases of measles linked to the current outbreak. Of the 78 reported cases, about 10 are people who are vaccinated. About 7 of them are too young, allergic, or have compromised immune systems. And the other 61 are negligent assholes or the spawn of negligent assholes. Do you guys want us to put you and your kids into a... Futuristic prison quarantine <laughs> island survival movie scenario? Don't we'll do it. Make me. Now, there is absolutely no question that this outbreak is at least exacerbated, but likely fully caused by the erosion of herd immunity that can be traced directly to the idiots who would rather take medical advice from a snot-eating playboy model than all the doctors. <laughs> 
What's more, because idiocy loves company, those ideologically predisposed to betting their child's safety on their ability to parse out which parts of modern medicine are secret big pharma conspiracies and which are real are very likely to live near other like-minded fucktards. <laughs> right, so here's what confuses me about all this. How would this vaccination conspiracy even work? How, right. Why the fuck we would the government know. want a bunch of autistic kids with mercury poisoning <laughs> running around? How does that help? Or whatever it is you think is happening. How does that help anyone? Right, right, exactly. The Illuminati can't use those people. <laughs> Bilderbergs now, want the, the hope here yeah. is that we're at least reaching a critical mass with this idiocy. Because for a long time, these anti-vax jackoffs could get away with it. They'd say, well, that lady that thinks her child is a magical alien seems pretty credible. I'll follow her medical advice. And their kids would be fine because all the other people were less <laughs> stupid. Worked. We kind of hoped that we'd be able to shine a light on this without a bunch of children contracting old-timey diseases, but at the very <laughs> least, the well-it-didn't-hurt-my-kid excuse is getting significantly less viable. Right, because, again, at a certain point, we're going to have to start shooting your diseased kids in the neck with tranquilizer darts and moving them to the quarantine island we discussed earlier. That's Right, it's not you know, just your kids that you're giving you. horrible diseases to, but even if it was, that should be plenty to motivate you. <laughs> I can think, yeah. Now, after a brief and unsuccessful attempt to charge customers that contracted the disease for extemporaneous abstract body art, Disney changed their response by urging unvaccinated people to stay the hell out of their fucking theme park and perhaps use the time that they would have spent riding Space Mountains to go to the damn doctor and be minimally socially responsible. But if you want that candid photo of you and your pockmarked family fleeing the disease theme park in horror. That's $100 extra. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you do get the high-quality cardboard frame. Yeah, classy package. Now, in light of this most recent outbreak, many health professionals have renewed calls for mandatory vaccination, a plan I support if only to finally see that vein in Alex Jones' forehead just explode, <laughs> just once and for all. Joining us with more on this story is Lucinda Lusions, reporting live from Disneyland. Lucinda, how are things looking there? It's a diseased hellscape, Heath. The employees are all wandering around in giant cartoon hazmat suits. Children are screaming everywhere. Food has grown so scarce that a single hot dog is selling for $7. It's like something out of The Walking Dead, except everyone's fat instead of a zombie. I see, I see. It seems like uh, in circumstances like that, it'd be pretty hard to enjoy yourself. How's everybody managing? Drugs, Heath. Okay. They won't even let you on the rides here if you're not high enough. They have signs and everything. Are you high right now, Lucinda? Huh? Yeah, I, I think so. A, a minute ago, everything got really small, then really big, and then normal-sized again. All right, pretty typical. And uh, what is Disney doing to keep the guests safe? Well, I was issued a helmet at the door with what I can only assume are radar receivers on either side of it. I assume it'll alert me if there's measles in the area, Heath. So do you think it's safe to say that children getting measles, rickets, and scurvy will teach these parents to properly manage their child in the future? I doubt it, Heath. It doesn't seem like this latest outbreak has slowed the anti-vax crowd down a bit. In fact, I saw Jenny McCarthy here earlier today trying to test the spinning teacups for a thimerosal. You mean, even in light of this terrible epidemic, they're not going to change their message? Well, they have changed their tactics a bit, Heath. Really? Uh, how so? Well, instead of telling people to forego life-saving preventative medicine, they're just coughing their message directly into people's faces. <laughs> and... How are the, the people responding to the coughing directly into their faces? By getting measles, Heath. Thank you, Lucinda. From the adjacent to blowing smoke up your ass file tonight, thanks to a new service offered by cutting-edge holistic health spas, women like Gwyneth Paltrow can get their 
vagina steam cleaned with an ancient Chinese process involving herbal vapors and infrared laser beams. Oh, laser beams. Good. This was starting to sound like bullshit. I was just wondering what Gwyneth was doing with her pussy these days. Steam cleaning is what she was. That would not have been my guess. So how does that work? And please don't spare the details. Well, here it is from Paltrow herself. She has a wellness blog called Goop, I think. And here she is explaining exactly how this works. Quote, You sit on what is essentially a mini throne, and a combination of infrared and mugwort steam cleanses your uterus. Uterus! What? Et al. Uterus et al. (laughs) It is an energetic release, not just a steam douche, that balances female hormone levels. End quote. It's even more useful than a steam douche? (laughs) This had to start with like two woo merchants having a, well, I think Gwyneth Paltrow is stupid enough to pay for blank type argument. (laughs) She thinks, wait, steaming her vagina cleans her uterus? Uterus, I mean, first of all... What is in your uterus that you need it steam cleaned? Is it vinyl? You, have you had it upholstered? Does it need defrosted? <laughs> right. So Gwyneth sounds pretty confident she has some sort of, I guess, HVAC ductwork inside of her that starts and ends at her vagina. Okay. But professional OBGYN and vulva disorder expert Jen Gunter disagrees. Here's what the actual vagina doctor had to say about all this. Quote, steam is probably not good for your vagina. (laughs) Herbal steam is no better and quite possibly worse. It is most definitely more expensive. Steam isn't going to get into your uterus from your (laughs) vagina unless you're using an attachment with some kind of pressure and in bold capitals, most definitely never ever do that. End quote. Oh, I, love, I love that there's also lasers. You know, it's like just just to make this even more bullshit, there are hormone-balancing infrared lasers. And But I like the idea of lasers and vaginas, and I'll tell you why. Because physicists always refer to them as stimulated emissions of photons. That sounds like something that belongs in a vagina. Right. Now, Dr. Gunter also pointed out that steamed herbs and laser beams certainly can't regulate hormonal cycles in any way either. Oh, good. I was right. (laughs) Quote, even steamed estrogen couldn't do that. (laughs) She also added, if you want to relax your vagina, have an orgasm. Oh, there you go. End quote. So that's a thumbs down on the vagina steamer carpet cleaner. But the doc never said anything about hot ironing, power washing, (laughs) sandblasting. Might be worth a try over there, Gwyneth. And as usual, don't. Consult a gynecologist. Just go ahead and do it. And if nothing works, I'm always available. I will not laugh at your busted up vagina that needs weird tell you. treatments. Leave. And in trickle down economics news tonight, Sarah Palin oh, gave what was originally billed as a speech at the <laughs> Iowa Freedom Summit last week. But I'd say in <laughs> retrospect, it was closer it's... to an impression of John Belushi doing an impression it's... of Joe Cocker with an aneurysm. So. It was fun. Listening to a Furby have an epileptic seizure. (laughs) Right. So So bad. Quick recap of some especially eloquent points made by Palin during the speech, I guess we'll call it. By the way, before we start, quick side note, the the Palin Wranglers claim there was a malfunction with the teleprompter partway through the talk, Mm -hmm. so they want us to keep that in mind, but that still leaves no excuse for the early sections, and really... No excuse for the later sections either, because if you watch the video, you can see she clearly had her speech written on the lectern in front of her, too. So a <laughs> literacy malfunction might be a better description of the problems. Probably just a picture of a cat with a misspelled caption or something. <laughs> but honestly, look, 
anything short of somebody spiked my yoo with Xanax would have been an insufficient excuse for this mumbling bullshit. I don't give a fuck if my speech catches on fire while a scorpion is attacking my tongue with poison. I would have remained more coherent. I mean, she look. Does she have a teleprompter with her when she goes to Walgreens? Does she right. use sentences with words in them there? I've never owned a teleprompter in my life. Right. Talking this whole time. <laughs> so Palin decided to lead with an icebreaker story about how she was friends with now deceased American sniper Chris Kyle, and mm. that was obviously what she thought was a perfect segue to a disparaging remark about the wealthy liberal Jewish people that signed Clint Eastwood's paychecks. Here's her quote on that. You know why this movie is breaking records all across this great nation? It's because America needs a hero again. And Chris Kyle has been that man. And screw the left in Hollywood who can't understand what it is we see in someone like Chris Kyle and all of our vets. End quote. So, but who does she yeah, think? Screw Hollywood for making this extraordinarily successful Oscar no- six-time Oscar-nominated movie about this guy. And for not seeing positive character traits in soldiers and... Never making movies like this and right. a whole bunch yeah. of others I could list. I half expect her to follow that up with a lamentation about how they never make superhero movies anymore. <laughs> right. Now, in case it wasn't clear from what we've said so far, Palin's been killing it up to this point. <laughs> right. But here's where it starts going downhill. She had some oddly chosen kind words for Steve King, the guy who runs the event. Quote, Steve very strong. He going rogue there in D.C. <laughs> End quote. And Real and her quote. remarks about Iowa Senator Joni Ernst uh, also contained words. Palin described Ernst as a, quote, pistol-packing, Harley-riding mama grizzly. End quote. That's a mother grizzly bear riding a motorcycle carrying a firearm. <laughs> right. A Sounds dangerous. I guess in Alaska <laughs> and Iowa. And strongly supports the Yoo-Hoo Xanax theory. <laughs> yes, it does. She did get a little ambitious at one point, and... Uh, she took a crack at using the word forego. Oh, this it should go well. didn't work out very well. No, no, no. Here's the quote. Now, the press asks, can anyone stop Hillary? And she's holding up a Time magazine that asks that, I guess. This is to forgo a conclusion, right? End quote. That's what she... So, is that right? I, I, thought, I thought it would be no. pre-forwenting. Well, would be the correct. Uh, let's not, let's not pre-forwenting seclude again. a conglomeration primarily, okay? Let's hear her out. We also had Palin on jihadists. Quote, Nuh-uh, this is our house. Get the hell out. End quote. So, sounds like the uh, solid bedrock for a foreign policy platform there. Foreign policy, absolutely. And finally, here's Palin on, uh, we we think, maybe Obama playing golf. (laughs) Quote, Because they know that he who was the one now with tea time on the mind, he is so over it. End quote. Oh, no idea what's going on. Just don't read from the teleprompter if it says crazy news crap like that. There's only one word in that entire sentence with more than one syllable. I've heard flatulence with better diction. Now, following the speech, one of the most common responses from Palin's political opponents was, as you could imagine, thank you. Right, right. In fact, plenty of Democrats would be very excited to see Sarah Palin once again running for president. Be Especially the ones the that show, do. Yeah, exactly. Now, luckily for us, we had a spare posse of unpaid Guatemalan orphan refugees that could help make that a reality. So we put them to work this week, coming up with some new liberal finance Sarah Palin campaign slogans. Heath, what did they come up with? <laughs> All right, let's start with Sarah Palin. If anyone can finally win us the Cold War, it's an Alaskan like me. 
I don't know. I like it, but anything that reminds people that other countries have guns and stuff is not playing to her strengths. <laughs> and right. no, nothing about foreign right, policy. About Sarah Palin. The camera adds 10 IQ points, right? Everyone gather around. Where's Foxy? <laughs> and Nine? which one of y'all is from YouTube? <laughs> what else? How about Sarah Palin? Just to make it fair in case the Democrats want to run a black, gay, communist, Muslim next time. Well, I think it's safe to say I don't know about the black, but whoever they run, Palin will call them a gay, communist, Muslim. Or, <laughs> or, or a gay, carboniferous, mausoleum. But she'll mean <laughs> gay, communist, Muslim. But I like that one. I like that one. We'll put a pin in All there. All right. How about Sarah Palin? What books do you read? You tell first. I ask you second. You say. Eh, no good. There's, there's math in that one, so she could never remember it. <laughs> About Sarah Palin, the worst thing that's ever happened to John McCain outside of a POW camp. <laughs> wow. Well, that. So I guess we're basically just assuming that he was butt-raped while he was in there then? <laughs> no illusions is assuming he was butt rape then and that's going to do it for episode two thanks to no illusions for all the researching writing recording editing and general doing of all the stuff and that's going to do it for episode two thanks to no illusions for all the researching writing recording editing and general doing of all the stuff thanks to his lovely wife lucinda for risking measles rickets and smallpox while reporting from disneyland and thanks to all the listeners that liked us on Facebook, followed us on Twitter, and sent us feedback on the other various internets. Please keep doing that. Please keep listening. And please keep telling your friends. And if you're feeling that same chemistry that I'm feeling, and I think you are, please feel free to send us gifts of earthly currency at our donation page at patreon.com slash skeptocrat. And whether or not you're feeling financially benevolent, if you enjoyed our brand of whimsy and you'd like to hear more unsolicited dick jokes free of charge, check out our sister podcast, The Scathing Atheist, available on iTunes, Stitcher, or directly from scathingatheist.com. And one last thing, if there's anything I've learned from No Illusions over the years, it's that everyone enjoys a good penis compliment. So we'll close it out with a special thanks to jazz man extraordinaire Ryan Slotnick of Evil Drafts on Mars. He is the creator of the infectious musical stylings you heard today, and we do have his permission. You can find out more about him and his music using the links we'll provide or by Googling the only band called Evil Drafts on Mars. Until next week, catchphrase sign-off. That's, that's going to be a company slogan. It's going to sit on a fucking wall. It's going to say, no the drier the subject, yeah. <laughs> the wetter the dick joke. <laughs>